Go ahead and have a seat and grab your Bibles and take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 50 as we uh, get to the point here where we're wrapping down the series, Joseph, a legendary tale. We started the last service, last sermon last week, so this is part two. If you remember last week, I played around with the Duncan yo-yo situation. Do you guys have that wedge or not? Yeah, you got it. Um, Thank you. Where would I be without my wedge to help me here? Um, We talked about the yo-yo illustration that we had, um, that no matter how you slice it, life is like a yo-yo. It's just full of ups and downs, and we've certainly seen that in all these weeks that we have worked in the story of Joseph where we've seen all the ups and downs of his life, and it has been anything but boring to follow Joseph's life. But we're coming to the end of the story here in Genesis chapter 50, and where we left him last week is in one of the low times. And those of you who have ever lost a a loved one, especially a mom or a dad, then you know exactly where Joseph is here in verse one of chapter 50, where Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. This right after, it says that Jacob pulled his feet into his bed and breathed his last. That's a very low point for a lot of us, well, for all of us. Let's just say that. It's a low point when death enters into our world because I firmly believe that the reason death is so hard for many of us to handle is because death was not supposed to be part of our life on this earth. When God created us, he created us in his image, but he created us to live forever. And it was only when sin entered into the world that death came upon men. And so sin coming into the world brought death, and so that's why I believe death is so foreign to us and why it's so hard for us to handle and why it becomes one of those very low moments. And sometimes that yo-yo we talked about sleeps right there at the bottom when we get to this point where Joseph finds himself in the first verse of chapter 50. The verses after that talk about the embalming ceremony that they did. Forty days it took them to embalm. And you know last week we talked about how we've lost the art of being with those of our loved ones who have died because we tend to send them to the professionals to take care of everything. And we're not there, part of it. I believe that there is a a very healthy grieving that happens when we get to spend time with those who have passed. I'm not sure about 40 days of embalming. I don't know how that would really work in our society today, but they took 40 days to embalm Jacob, and they spent 70 days mourning. And the scripture tells us that the Egyptians were weeping for the loss of Jacob, Joseph's father, for 70 days. Now, we could talk a lot about that, but what we know is that there was something very special that God had done in Joseph's life. Remember, he was a slave when he entered Egypt, and now he has got so much favor with the people of Egypt that they actually took 70 days to mourn the death of his father. That's a pretty special favor that he had that God gave him in that land, that foreign land of his. So they took the body of Jacob, his sons, to a cave in Canaan, just as they had promised their dad that they would, and they buried him with his grandfather Abraham, his father Isaac, and his wife Leah. 
But now, as we said last week, the scene turns, as it often does, in a home where um, mom and dad are now gone, but mom and dad were the ones that were holding um, ever so delicately the thin threads of unity that are holding the family together and holding it from flying apart. You might be in a family like that, or you know of a family like that, um, where mom and dad, they're the ones keeping everything going. They're the ones that gather everybody. They're the reason why everybody gathers. And oftentimes, whenever they leave, the question is, are we gonna keep doing this? They're the ones that started a lot of the traditions and they're carrying the traditions out. Will the kids pick the traditions up? Will we continue to gather? Will, we, will it be the same? Will we, will we be okay with each other? Because oftentimes, in a lot of homes, mom and dad are keeping peace among siblings because things are not right between the siblings and when they're gone, then the big question, what, what now? And that's where they find themselves here in this very highly dysfunctional family that we have been following for the last several months. Verse 15, if you go there with me in Genesis 50, verse 15, now that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers became fearful. And this is what they said to themselves. Now Joseph is going to show his anger and pay us back for all the wrong that we did to him. First of all, I want you to notice that they're expecting payback. Now, they've been living as a family again for 17 years. They had been separated for over 20 while Joseph was coming to power in Egypt, and now 17 years they were able to spend together in quote-unquote unity, right, in so-called unity and peace um, but now that dad's gone, they're expecting payback for, and they, they admit here, all the wrong that we did to Joseph. So in their hearts, they're guilty. In their hearts, they know that they did their brother wrong, and they've been carrying that. We're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. But as soon as dad's gone, they're filled with fear, because they saw in their minds the sudden removal of the perceived restraining influence that Jacob had over Joseph. So they're thinking the only reason Joseph's not taking it out on us and giving us what we deserve is because dad's alive and he's not gonna do it while dad's alive. And so I think they're like, in their hearts, they're like, okay, dad's gone, we're toast because our brother that we did wrong and sinned against is the most powerful man in the world underneath Pharaoh. He has all the power and favor of all the Egyptian people. He could do whatever he wants to with us. And I just want to ask the question, where are the tough, cocky, self-absorbed, jealous brothers now? The guys that were this band of brothers that said, hey, let's, let's be tough dudes and take it out on our little brother and do him wrong, throw him in a pit, sell him as a slave, and then lie about where he is. All of a sudden, they're reduced to being fearful in verse 15. I just wanna pause right here and say, as I was studying this, this brought me to a verse in Proverbs 28.1. 
that I think you ought to write down somewhere, put it on, maybe not your refrigerator, put it on something else, but put it up somewhere in your house. Make your kids learn this first, and here it is. The wicked flee or run away when no one is chasing them. But the godly are as bold as lions. I want you to think about that verse. The wicked flee, because we're seeing it in the brothers right here. The wicked flee when no one is chasing. They're carrying around this guilt of what they had done years before to their brother. And now they see that their brother's alive and he's an important man in Egypt. And now they're fearful and they have been carrying this for a long time. And Joseph hasn't made one move towards them. In fact, quite the opposite. He's been nothing but kind to them. Since he saw them and revealed himself to them, they have no reason to be afraid, and yet they're fearful of him at this time. The wicked flee when no one is chasing. That's what sin, unconfessed, unrepentant sin does to us. We're always worried about the next thing. You know, a a liar has a problem. You know people who are liars. No one here has ever lied. No one, no one watching online has ever lied. I mean, we're church people. We don't lie. There are some people in the world that are liars, and if you're a liar, that's a horrible place in, your, in, in this world to be because you have to go to bed every night worrying about who I'm gonna talk to tomorrow and who did I say what to and did I say the truth to this person, but I, I said the lie to this person, and oh God, help them not to ever meet. And you have to go to bed worrying about whether, man, can I hold it all together and remember who I told what to? Can you see what happens? And so you get up the next day, and you're running for your life, fearful of what might come transpire in your world that day because you haven't been honest. And that's just dishonesty. Think about being guilty of other kinds of wickedness and other kinds of sins that you have not repented of. You can see how their guilt is ever before them. It's kind of like David said, my sin that he did with Bathsheba and he sinned against Uriah and had him killed and all that he said, my sin is ever before me. And that is the state that we find ourselves in before we repent to a God who is faithful to forgive us of our sins if we just humble ourselves and come to him. I came across this Benjamin Franklin quote this week. If you want to have a good sleep, go to bed with your clear conscience. Confess your sin before the Lord. Take care of things today so that you can have a clear conscience and you can sleep tonight. Anybody relating to that? Relating with me? Are you you catching that? This is what we see here with these guys, and it's so typical because very seldom does somebody die in our families where there isn't some kind of guilt in somebody's heart who's left behind. Oftentimes when mom and dad die um, or someone else in our family dies, others that are left will have this haunting, if only I had, or if only we had done this, 
man, if I had known that they were going to go, I wouldn't have acted like this. I wouldn't have said this. And what a horrible thing that is to carry. It says in Ephesians chapter four that we're supposed to stay current in our relationships. Stay current with each other. Stay current with God and confess our sins so that we're not haunted by these things like the brothers here. And they're doing it to themselves because of their guilt that is ever before them. It tears apart a grieving family, I can tell you that. And this is what we have going on here. But look at verse 16. Um, they go to Joseph and they said, before your father died, he instructed us to say, and I just want to ask you, does that strike anybody odd? I mean, if it was me and I was going to my brother, I'd say, hey, Joseph, before dad died, he wanted me to say this to you. Very interesting that, that, he's, that they go and I think they're appealing to Joseph's special relationship with their daddy that they didn't have, and maybe they're still resent, resentful of that. But before your father died, he instructed us to say to you, please forgive your brothers for the great wrong they did to you, for their sin in treating you so cruelly. So we, the servants of the God of your father, beg you to forgive us and when Joseph received the message, he broke down and he wept. I want you to see that in these verses, we find the ingredients of repentance and how vitally important it is for us to have these things in our world, in our life, as it relates to each other and, and to certainly to God whenever we sin against him and sin against each other. We find confession that they have admitted, and that we saw earlier that they knew that they had done a great wrong to Joseph, but here they are admitting the great wrong that they did. There's humility and a contrite heart where they come before him and they, they bow themselves before him, and then there's a seeking forgiveness where we beg you to forgive our sins. This is so important that I can't skip over it and just move on to speak into your heart and mine about our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Um, I'm gonna talk about our relationship with each other first, okay, and particularly in our families. I mentioned this last week that there isn't anything big enough to allow to divide the family. Anything and everything out there and can be forgiven. You can, no matter how much you have sinned against somebody, you can go to them and humble yourself with a contrite heart, get low, confess your sin, and ask for forgiveness. Now, some of you, are thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. When we've talked a lot about this, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna belabor the point that there are some heinous sins that people have committed against us or that you know of that have been committed and maybe you have been the one who's committed those sins against somebody else and you think, there's no forgiveness for this. 
And we have worked that a lot here at this church, and you understand that that's not true. Because if God in heaven can forgive us of our trespasses against him, which are much more heinous than anything we can do to each other, our sin against God, that deserves death, if he can forgive us of that, then we can forgive others and each other of the sin. But there is something that happens in families where somebody is hurt in some way and it drives a wedge and that wedge stays there forever. And I just want you to hear that in the family of God, and if your family is in the family of God, there is no place for that for forgiven people to not forgive each other. In some of our families, there just needs to be a a humble confession session that could happen within our families as we just come together. I have a sister that got sideways with our family, and I, I really don't understand. I actually hope she's watching because she won't talk to us. I doubt she will be watching, but I would love it if God, the Holy Spirit, would just say, maybe you ought to watch Phil today. Because <laughs> we have pled with her. Just She's mad about some things that have happened in the past, and she just won't release it. She won't even give us a chance to talk about it. And I gotta tell you, it it kills us in our family. It kills the family dynamic. And I wish it was not so. I wish there was some pill I could give to fix it, but there isn't anything. I, I can't do anything except plead. But I want you to know that there isn't any pain, there isn't any hurt that cannot be forgiven, that cannot be fixed in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit of God under the blood of Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us we're supposed to do everything we can to live at peace with all men and to fix this kind of thing and to stay current. And that's what I wanna say about that. Then I wanna say this about about our relationship with God. If you will humble yourself and confess your sin and ask the Lord's forgiveness, there isn't anything he won't forgive. There isn't anything that he will hang on to and say, I'll forgive you of all these things over here, but this thing, nah, you went too far. I'm not gonna forgive you of that. The Bible says that those of us who come before him and confess our sin before him, he will forgive us of our sin. We have a forgiving God. We have a God that understands a humble heart. And when we come, like Joseph's brothers come like this, and we come before our Father, and we say to the Lord, I'm sorry for what I have done. It was wrong. It was sin. And humbly I come before you and ask your forgiveness. God will always forgive a heart like that. And it doesn't matter what you have done. Doesn't matter how bad your sin. Doesn't matter, you, you might think to yourself and everybody in your world might say you're just hopeless, you're a hopeless case. Don't believe it. You can come to God and you can always come to God and he will always forgive you 
if you come with a humble heart and in your heart repent of your sin. What a wonderful thing we have in our Father. And if there is something between you and God, your Father, right now, a sin that you have committed, and maybe it's a sin you've committed, this is like your thousandth time to do it. Confess your sin. Humble yourself, confess your sin, and get up and start walking the path of holiness again. And he will accept you back every single time. Oh, Phil, isn't that a dangerous thing to be saying to people? So we can just go and sin, and just as long as we just can go do whatever we want and come back and sin? No, that's not a humble heart before God. You're a cheating heart before God. You're like, I'm gonna get my thing, what I want, and then I'm gonna come back and get what I want from God. He doesn't play that game, and he knows your heart. But the wonderful thing about God is that he knows how broken we are, and so when we do mess up and we sin over and over, if we're truly repentant and come back to him, he will always forgive us of our sin. Have I said enough about that? This means yes. You're live now. You got that, right? You're not sitting at home anymore. You're live, okay. I need feedback. All right. What did Joseph do um, after they came to him? It says that Joseph received the message and he broke down and he wept. And the reason he did is because they didn't believe that back in chapter 45, he really meant what he said when he said to them in verse five, don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives, not you. He is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. They didn't believe him back then when he revealed himself to them that he wasn't upset with them and he wasn't angry with them and they've been holding this all this time. And he weeps over that. They didn't believe that Joseph could not be angry and vengeful towards them because of what they had done to him. So let me ask you something. Is it possible for people to change this much? Yeah, the answer is yes. But in your world, is it possible for people to change this much? How many people do you know can change like this? It takes something very special to happen in our hearts, but it is possible. And what it takes is a perspective that Joseph had on his life, on the yo-yo life that he lived, in order to be able to have this kind of posture with his brothers who did such wicked things to him. He says, God sent me here ahead of you. God, he is the one who put me in this high place of power. And at that point, the scripture says in verse 18, they fell down at his feet. And this is what he says to them in verse 19. Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Very interesting sentence. Very interesting question. Don't be, a, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? I want you to lean into that phrase with me. Am I God that I can punish you? And here's why. Because there are going to be times when you and I have the power, okay? 
and probably the right, okay, but we have the power certainly to enact vengeance and judgment upon someone else on this planet while we're living here. Sometimes we might be in a place where someone who very well deserves it and has it coming to them is in a position where we can come at them and we can drop the bomb because we've got the goods on them and we've got them in a corner and we've got them right where we want them and now's the time to pounce and we recognize it. And you know Joseph had them right where he wanted them if he wanted revenge and to get back at them. You might even be at a place like he is right here in chapter 50 where somebody who has hurt you comes and bows low before you and humbles themselves and actually begs for your forgiveness for the horrible sin that they committed against you. And the question is, how will you respond when you're in that moment and we're going to have those moments in our lives on this earth? How you respond in that moment says a lot about you and your relationship with Jesus Christ and your understanding of all that you have been forgiven from. Will you forgive them? Let's, will you forgive them from your heart, Jesus says. Um, will you forgive them and not remember their sins against them like God does not remember our sins against us? See, forgiving somebody says, I make a promise to you. I will not throw it up in your face anymore. I won't tell a bunch of other people about it. And every time that it comes to my mind, I tell everybody about what you did to me. And I actually won't rehearse it myself anymore. I'm releasing you from the debt that was caused by the sin you committed against me. Will you show them mercy? Will you see them and what they did to you the same way that Joseph sees what his brothers did to them and say, am I in God's place? See, what he understood that we are told in the scriptures is that God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. I'm the one who gets to bring vengeance upon wickedness, not you. I am almighty God. I am the righteous judge. I know exactly how to handle these kinds of things. You can't trust yourself to handle these kinds of things. Anybody want to say amen to that? Okay, good, because if you're like, no, I can handle it. It's all on me. I'm the guy. I'm the one who got the, the pain. I'm the one who was sinned against, so I'm the one who gets to it. No, you do not. God says, that's my job. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. You let it go. All that revenge and all that judgment, all the I'll get you someday kind of stuff, that's all God's business to take care of. And look at verse 20, which is one of those powerful verses in all of the scripture. You intended to harm me, he said, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. Wow, what a powerful statement. 
What an amazing perspective. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Now, all of it for good. Now, here's the deal. We all know we've spent a lot of times in Romans 8, 28, and 29 here at this church. So we all understand and we have been taught that for those who love God, all the things that are happening, God is at work for the good of those who love him. And the good is that we are being transformed. It's an opportunity. Every pain we go through is an opportunity. Every low point is a, is a point of growth for us so that we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and be like Jesus. But what he's including here is that you intended harm to me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me through your wickedness. He brought me to this position. Why? Look at the Bible. Look at the Bible. Why? so that I could save the lives of many people. I wanna tell you, he's saying, you don't understand something about me, brothers. There was a time when I could only see the scene before me, but now I see all of it. I see the bigger picture that's going on. All the yo-yo ups and downs in my life have shown me that God accomplishes his will and he accomplishes his divine purposes in spite of the sins that we commit and in spite of the sins that people commit against us. I have learned, brothers, that it's not possible to explain all the human suffering and that I don't have to be able to explain it. All I have to do is hold tight to the hand of the one who is all-powerful, the one who is supreme, the one who is sovereign and in control of all things. And all I have to do is trust him and hold tight to his hand. He's the one who says, I've got you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and you are mine and I am yours and no matter what you're going through, I will carry you through it. He says, I know now, brothers, what I couldn't know before that all that has happened in my life, all the yo-yoing, all the ups and downs have been designed to provide a path of life for the salvation of the world. And he looks at Judah and he says, you Judah, all the, the evil intent you had in your heart towards me, it all happened at your hand, but God used it to make a path to spare not only your life, Judah, but to spare the life of your seed, which someday is going to deliver a person called Jesus, the Messiah, into a world to provide salvation for all that is lost. Because that is the work of God on the planet ever since the fall of mankind, is to reconcile men who have been broken in their relationship with him because of sin, reconcile them and bring them back to life in him. And so Joseph is showing all of us that this evil thing that you did, you intended it for harm, but God said, no, this is all a path. This is creating a path that I am going to use to spare the life of the family, but also to provide a way of salvation for the world. There's a bigger picture than the story here in Joseph for all of us. The one that God the Father sent into the world, not to condemn the world, but that all of those who believe in him would not suffer judgment for their sins, but would find forgiveness and eternal life. Joseph was part of that. The evil done to him 
created a pathway to Egypt to open up a door wide for the the Savior of the world to come through. And if you want to go deeper in this and how God uses this messed up, broken thing that we have going on here, read chapter 38 of Genesis tonight. And see how that through, through the adulterous affair that Judah had, that seed, Perez, came all the way through to the line of Jesus. Amazing what God does. Joseph understood this and he came to this knowledge experientially as he lived through and endured the yo-yos of his life just like it happens for you and for me. All the things we go through, if we can see them the same way that Joseph saw his, that whatever happened to me You may have meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about the life of of many. I gotta, please. He he experienced all of this, which gave him the knowledge, and we do the same thing. And the only thing I know how to talk to you about on this subject is Amanda, our daughter, and our precious Amanda and little Evie's lives were traded for the lives traded over here for the lives of hundreds of people who have come to Jesus and given their heart to Jesus because of their story. Now, I don't like that. I wish there was a different path that God would have chosen. I would not have chosen that, and if he asked me, hey, Phil, can we do this? I would have said, no. No, go get Jeff Zamont. Let him do it. I don't want to do it. I would have, there's no way I would have given my permission for that if God had asked, but he didn't ask. And what men meant for evil, are you hearing me? God intends for good to create a path for the salvation of many. And so they traded their lives for the salvation of hundreds of people because of their story, and it's not over yet. My friends, this is what's going on in our lives, all of our lives. Your life included. If you are in Christ, everything happens in order to get you in a position to have a platform to be able to share Jesus, to shine your light and share the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that men and women around the world can come to him. Even in the dark dark, low times when that yo-yo was just down there spinning and spinning and spinning out of control. You can lift up your head as a believer in Jesus Christ, just like Joseph, and say, you know what? I don't see the light yet, but there's a light coming at the end of this tunnel because God is in control of my world. And he's using this pathway. I am preparing a path for the gospel, the life-saving message to go forth. Have that kind of perspective, my friends, and you can get through anything that happens in your world, just like Joseph here. He says to them in verse 21, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Forgiven people forgive people. 
Those who have been shown mercy will show mercy, and those who have experienced God's grace will be gracious. And those who understand the concept of their sovereign God can release the crippling hold that the sins of the past can have on us. That's the message of this story. And I end with this. Just as fast as Joseph comes on the scene, he leaves it. We don't know anything about this kid named Joseph. All of a sudden, he's a 17-year-old kid who's spoiled, pops onto the scene. And just as fast as he came on the scene, chapters later, he drops off the scene. In verse 22, it says, so Joseph and his brothers and their families continued to live in Egypt, and Joseph lived to the age of 110. And guess what, my friends? We're at the end of the story. There's no more story told of Joseph, even though he lives an additional 60 years after the death of his dad. And verse 21, 60 years have passed, and we don't hear anything else about Joseph's life. The narrative just jumps right to verse 26. Look at it. So Joseph died at the age of 110. The Egyptians embalmed him, and his body was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Thus ends the story of Joseph, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, end of chapter, end of book. Are you listening? But not the end of the journey. This message, this, this, this series that we had is called Joseph, the Legendary Tale. The Legendary Tale goes far beyond the borders of Joseph in Egypt. The legendary tale is not Joseph's story that we've been dealing with. It's God's story as we've seen it played out in Joseph's life through all of this. Joseph's story, as we see here, ending just as fast as it came on the scene, it was just a mist and a vapor in the eternal landscape, just like your life and mine are. We're here today, bam, we are gone tomorrow, and this is what we see with Joseph. He comes onto the scene, God does this incredible work, brings a path of salvation for the Messiah, and bam, Joseph is dead at 110 years old. Story's over. No more talk of him, except later on we see that they're carrying his bones everywhere because he made them promise to carry his bones and get him out of Egypt. Now, my friends, listen to me. The pages of this great legendary tale of God's are still being written on your life and mine. And as our yo-yo lives move up and down, we, like Joseph, and because of his story that we've experienced over the last several months, we can boldly and with confidence say, in all of my life, through all of my ups and downs, even when evil men and evil forces come against me, my God is in control, and I can trust him by faith, and he holds me in the palm of his hand, and in that place, it's all good. It's hard, <laughs> not easy, but it's all good. It's where we all are. It's what we all have, have experienced or will experience. And I got to just tell you, in this time, in this day of uncertainty, there's all kinds of crazy things going on. 
um, things we can't explain, the conversation all around me and that I have in my own head is, how did we get to this place in our world this fast? Have we literally lost our minds like it seems like we have? Is common sense a thing of the past? Can we trust anybody anymore? Who can we listen to? I'll tell you who. God our Father, who wrote down his will in his book for all of us to study and all of us to know, and we can know him and we can trust him, and he has a sovereign plan through it all. And now it may be painful, but we can say whatever was meant for evil, if it was intended for evil, God's going to work it out. And the working it out is a path. So I want to tell you something, my friends, in the midst of all the crazy chaos right now, is an opportunity for God's people to step up and step into the situation with the, with the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't get a year out from now and go, man, were people ready to hear the gospel? Where was I? Don't do that, okay? I'm like trying to wake you up right now. We have an amazing opportunity right now in our world to share faith in Jesus Christ and to be able to tell people there is something and someone that you can trust. I know him. His name is Jesus. And though you won't make sense of everything going on in our world, you can make sense of this. He loves you and you can have a life with him that will last forever. And so don't miss the opportunity. And we're going to try and lean into this as much as we can. And I want you to know, it's not easy to lead through this stuff right now. Um, because this, this, these issues before us, with executive orders coming and going, um, it's polarizing us. And it's polarizing us as a church. And I want to speak into this because um, you all know the executive order that came down. Um, it's still moving. And we still don't have all the finality of it. But we, we will be meeting, our teams will be meeting tomorrow, as soon as we hit the ground here tomorrow morning, after our elder prayer time, which we will really pray about, I need you to pray for us. We need you to pray. Our leaderships will be working this week to figure out what does church look like. But I can tell you this, we're not closing down. Amen. We're not. Um, to borrow some words from John MacArthur and his church, um, out of respect, we voluntarily stopped having church and stopped gathering for a while until we figured out, and now we pretty much know we're going to meet, and we're going to come together, and you can't tell the church they can't meet, and it has nothing to do with the Constitution of the United States. It has everything to do with what God says is what our, we're supposed to do, and that is to gather the church to worship God. 
And we're going to do it with singing. And we're going to do it with gathering. And we're going to do it smart. You look at, we're all over the place. That's smart. It's okay. But we want you to know that we're going to come with you to you with some information and some, uh, here's what I, I don't know what that's going to be yet. Okay, a lot of you were asking, what's, what's next Sunday gonna look like? I don't, we don't know yet, but we'll let you know midweek, okay? Pray for us as we work on this. But here's what I want you to know. Nothing, nothing would please Satan more than for this to divide us as a congregation. And we are making decisions. I hope that you can trust that we have 28 men that are godly men that are making decisions for how we're going to do church and that you can trust that we are not going off crazy in some political land and some political world and taking a, a position that is leading you into sin and your family into sin because that's just not happening. We're giving you the choice and you the option right now to make the decisions that work for you about all that's going on in here and giving you opportunity to be obedient at all kinds of levels. But we can't let this polarize us and divide us as a congregation. Talk about things that are bothering you and let's talk about them. Let's talk about them in love and humility. And in love and humility, we will talk with you about the decisions that we are making. And there are times when we can agree to disagree on some things. And we may have to have some of that, but pray for us this week as we move forward. And uh, we'll be, get in touch with you mid, about midweek. You, I'll probably do another video, maybe in the woods. I don't know. <laughs> we'll do something uh, to let you know how we're going to move forward. But I just want you to know and be assured that we are not looking back. We are moving forward and we're going to have church. It may shift and change, but we're not shutting down any longer. All right, let's stand together. And uh, let's pray to the Lord here. <clears throat> Our Father, we thank you that you are sovereign and that you are, it's just so amazing that we, as such broken vessels, are able to come before your presence like we are right now and that we um, can, that you accept us so thankful for that and that in the darkest times of our life you are working your plan for us to accomplish your will on earth as it is in heaven and that is our prayer that you will use us broke these broken vessels of ours and that you'll use us to bring life to many and salvation to not only us but to many that we, our lives will be pathways of righteousness and reconciliation for thousands of people. Help us as we go out to have eyes to see that. Um, strengthen us as a body. Protect us from the evil one. Keep us healthy so that we can serve you with all that we have and then let us go out there and do that. And I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. God bless you, my friends. The Whitmans will be out at their table. Please stop by. Give them your love. Share your love with each other on your way out. God bless you as you go.
Thank you for joining our worship service online today. Our prayer is that the worship and teaching have made an impression on your heart and that God is using it to inspire you to love God, love people, and penetrate our world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If this is your first time joining us, you can let us know by clicking on the link for the connection card. If you need prayer today, you can request that by clicking on the prayer request link. And also, you can check out our website, FBC Elkhart, for more information. Thank you, and we'll see you right back here next week.